2022, I believe, is a very unique and conspicuous year, not because of the chaos that we have been enduring for the last few years. But I believe that God is going to do something. I'm not just saying that, like putting it out there, like, right, everybody else is saying that. I'm just saying, I believe 2022 is the year of turnaround. I believe something great is going to happen in the next year. I'm not going to say we're not going to have to endure some more things. I'm not going to say that at all. I'm not going to say the chaos is going to come to calm by tomorrow. But I am going to tell you that I believe God is going to do, do something conspicuous and unique in the year of 2022. Do you believe that? Now, years are important to God and numbers are important to God. And when I was thinking about the year of 2022, um, the Lord spoke to me in prayer without any study in November. And in prayer, I felt the Lord speak to me and say that 2022 would be a year of covenant. Say that word covenant. covenant. Now you said one of the weightiest words in scripture. When you say covenant, that carries the weight of deity with it. You don't get a weightier word than covenant. You do not get a more sure word than covenant. You do not get a more certain word than covenant. You do not get a more comforting word than the word covenant. Say the word again. Covenant. covenant. It sounds so archaic that it's hard to pull it up into a contemporary language and make it relevant. But I'm going to do my dead level best today to let you know that God is a God of covenant and to let you know you can trust him. He will do what he said he will do. So the number two, if God was not into numbers, why would he name a book in the Bible Numbers. It's that simple to me. If God was not into numbers, why would he name a book in the Bible numbers? Numbers are important to God. And when you look at the number two, two has to do with cooperation. There is no covenant without cooperation. Say it with me. There is no covenant without cooperation. Now, That'll be one of the most powerful things I say all day long today. There can be no covenant without cooperation. 22, I'll just go through some stuff with you just off up here. 22 is 2 times 11. 11, historically and numerically, is a number of anti-government and anti-order. The number 11 is a turbulent number. It is anti-order, which is 10. It's anti-government, which is 12. 11 times 2 is 22. I believe that what we're seeing in the world is very representative of what this number stands for. Anti-order. Anti-government. Now, don't mistake, don't be mistaken. I'm talking about godly government. I'll leave that there. The Bible's most detailed book of end-time prophecy is what? The book of Revelation. Somebody tell me how many chapters is in Revelation. 22 chapters. Ahab reigned, the most evil king, in the Old Testament. 
for 22 years, which means Jezebel reigned for 22 years. And we've talked about Jezebel recently, haven't we? There are 22 generations from Adam to Jacob. I find this interesting that the word light or illumination, the word revelation, is mentioned 22 times in the Gospel of John. I find this interesting that God created 22 specific things in six days, the six days of creation. He created 22 things. It took Joseph 22 years <coughs> to be restored to his brethren. Boy, when I saw that, God spoke to me, man. And said, many of us are going to experience restoration and reconciliation with people that we thought would never be in our life again this year. Somebody shout restoration this year. And here's where I wanted to end this particular part of this discussion with you. I told you previously that the Lord spoke to me that 2022 would be a year of covenant before I did any studying. And when I started studying the number, I discovered that there's, of course, you know this, that there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. How many letters? 22. The last letter is the letter Tav or Tav, T-A-V. It's a letter that means a sign and a seal. It shows us that the end was set from the beginning. It's the final letter in the word Bereshit. Or these words, in the beginning. Which is the first word in the book of Genesis. Did you hear that? He showed us the last thing by introducing it as the first thing. It literally, the word tav literally means a sign or picture. Well, it's powerful. And when you look at the letter, there's two ways to draw it. The most used way of drawing the letter tav in Hebrew is actually two sticks that are crossed like a tree. Interesting. And it marks the place where you sign the contract. Hmm. It marks the place where you seal, don't miss this here. It marks the place where you seal the covenant. I learned that after God told me in November that this would be a year of covenant. Then I study and I find out the last letter in the Hebrew alphabet literally means covenant. Now, I don't know what that would do to you. But that sent like these goosebumps down my neck and down my back. My mind became alert. I said, God, you are truly speaking to me. So I start studying covenant, of course. It is when two or more parties come together to make that contract. It is agreeing on promises. 
covenant. Agreeing on promises. Agreeing on stipulations and privileges and responsibilities. Hmm, big word. Responsibility to covenant. Big word. Responsibility to covenant. The preferred meaning in the Hebrew is the word bond. A covenant refers to two or more parties that are bound together. Woo, Lord. So I started thinking about covenant in relation to us. Are we truly bound together? What is the glue? What is the bond we have as the family of God? So I start thinking, can a covenant between people be ever so strong? And I learned something. That a covenant between you and I is unique because it's bilateral. Are you, you're losing me? Have I lost y'all? Okay. For the 15 people that said no, I'm going to keep talking to you. So, if the covenant is between Joe and I, that is a bilateral covenant. Bias two. It means we both agree to the same thing. Right? That agreement now ties us together. We have a bond. But more than that, we have something we're both focused on, something we both agree about. Many of you don't know that when you start agreeing with people on certain things, you inevitably enter into a covenant with them. That's why the Bible says in Amos 3.3, how can two walk together except they be in covenant, except they be agreed? Jesus said if any Two of you covenant together. If any two of you agree together as touching anything, talk back to me today. It shall be done. That's how strong covenant is. But see, God's covenant to you is not bilateral. Boy, I'm saying something better than you saying back to me. God's covenant with you is unilateral. In other words, I'll say it like this. He does not need you to add to the covenant. God initiated the covenant. God determined the elements of the covenant. God confirmed his covenant with humanity. We are recipients, not contributors. Boy, I hope y'all, that'll, that'll make a, a backslid saint shout. We are recipients to the covenant. We are not contributors to the covenant. We are not expected to offer elements to the bond. We are called to do one thing, to accept it as it is offered. Watch it now. And to keep it 
as it is demanded. You're called to do one thing, to accept it as it is offered and to keep it as is demanded. So then we can say, we will receive the results that God by covenant assured us that we would receive and you cannot contribute to it. It's his promise. All you have to do is sign on. That's how good God is. In other words, he looks at you in such a way that you are his child. He knows your inadequacies. He knows your frailties. He knows your weaknesses, your propensities, your tendencies. And if he left it up to you to write part of the covenant, you would write yourself right out of it. Because you don't even know yourself as good as God knows you. Man, that's good stuff. That's why the old covenant was a covenant of works. The new covenant is the covenant of grace. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. The new covenant is all about God saying, I've got you. Genesis 17. Are y'all all right? Verses 1 through 21. I tell you what, for the sake of time, I won't read it all. But go home and read Genesis 17, verses 1 through 21. You know what it's about. It's about Abram being 90 years old. 99 years old, I should say. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the Lord, the almighty God. Now listen to what God tells Abram. Walk before me and be perfect. Now listen to it. And I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Verse 4, God speaks and says, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. He, watch this. Josiah, he did not ask Abram, would you like to enter into the covenant with me? He told Abram, I am going to make a covenant with you. Man, that's a good God. And if you look at the stipulations that begin in Genesis chapter 12, he had to do one thing. Leave your country and leave your kind. That was the initiation of God's response by giving him covenant. Oh, Lord have mercy. So, I'll just say it like this. God, number one, executes the covenant. What does that mean? To execute means God makes it. God produces it, and he will perform what is required of him in the covenant. That's heavy. To execute the covenant, it means God made it, he produced it, and he will perform what is required in his own covenant. He produces it, he will perform it. Say it with me. He produces it, he will perform it. That's execution. The covenant 
does not belong to you. The covenant belongs to God. The elements belong to you. Good God mercy. Nine times in Genesis 17, God says, it's my covenant. Now, if you want to get into numbers, the number nine is the number of finality. This is not up for negotiation. This is not up for conversation. Nine times God tells Abram, it's whose covenant is it? God's covenant. It's my covenant. Nine times in the same chapter, he says two words, I will. It's my covenant, I will. My covenant, I will. The first time he ever uses the word covenant is with Noah in Genesis chapter 6. And he tells Noah, this is my covenant, not your covenant. It's my covenant. So God executes the covenant. Number two, God establishes the covenant. In verse 7 of Genesis 17, he says, I will establish my covenant. What does that mean? You know, the word established could be used more in the vocabulary of this generation because everything is so liquid. Nothing solid. What happened to absolutes? Talk back to me. Everything is changed. Everything changed. People change. Nothing's solid. Nothing's concrete. Nothing's galvanized. Even your own convictions. My Bible tells me that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Good God. To establish it, I will establish my covenant to make firm, to make permanent by enactment and by agreement. Nothing can change his covenant. Say it again, Pastor Rick. Nothing can change his covenant. Once God establishes his covenant, no shift, no transition, no movement, no change, no difficulty, no pandemic can change his covenant. Nothing can change his covenant. God will do what he said he will do. The songwriter said he will stand by his word, by his covenant, and he will come through. The covenant of God is his expression of love toward you. It's unconditional. God loves you like that. He's got your best interest in mind. He said, I know the plans that I have for you to give you hope and a great future or an expected end. God is not here to disappoint you. God is not here to cause a delusion to come over the believer's minds. God is not here to discourage you. God is here to encourage you, to bless you, to love you, to carry you, to protect you, to provide for you. God is that good. So God executes the covenant. 
God establishes the covenant. Boy, I love the word in Hebrew, establish. Shall I share it with you? I think I shall. It means to rise and become clearer and clearer. To continue to help lift up. So that every time you start to go down, covenant starts coming up. You start getting discouraged and here comes covenant. And covenant gets clearer and clearer for the purpose of lifting you out of doldrum, lifting you out of discouragement, lifting you out of the valley, lifting you out of the ditch, lifting you out of the mud, lifting you out of depression, lifting you out of oppression. Covenant becomes clearer and clearer. That's how God establishes covenant. So before long, he gets a reputation of being a man of his word. And Paul will say it like this. He has delivered me. He will deliver me. He does deliver me. Why? Because he's got a reputation. He's got a pattern of delivering us. God is a God of covenant. See, covenant is strange to this generation because everybody lies to you. Do you remember the day some of you don't? Well, 90% of you don't. That a handshake was as good as your word. If I shook your hand, then that sealed the deal. No matter which one of us got flaky and weird, we had a handshake. We used to say it. We shook on it. We shook on it. You know what that means? You ain't got to worry about it. Today, a handshake means nothing. Handshakes mean nothing. Well, it means something to some people. But most people, a handshake don't mean nothing. Why? Because covenant doesn't mean anything. And we've gotten so used to the failure of bilateral covenants. Covenants. We've gotten so used to the failure of bilateral covenants that divorce rate is at numbers it's never been to before because you didn't mean it when you said that. What you meant to say is I'm going to stay married to her until she messes up or until she gets on my nerves. Are y'all with me? And, and here's the thing. Most of the people in this building, any building you walk in, are divorced or have been divorced. I'm not going there with you. I'm just telling you, this is a time where people are used to covenants being broken. Now, Michelle, if that happens enough, then it's hard for us to believe covenant with anything. Am I right about it? Quit lying to your children, Dad. Quit making them promises that you're going to do something and then you don't do it. As a matter of fact, you make them so many promises and you keep eight, uh, you, you keep two out of ten, eight undone, and you wonder why they don't trust you. They don't believe in you because you're not keeping your covenant. I didn't come talk to you about your daddy. I came to talk to you about a God that's never lied. He's never told you he was going to do something and then didn't do it. That's why he didn't enter a bilateral covenant with you. God is good. 
So the final question is, if God executes it, if God establishes it, then how do we enter it? How do we sign up? You cannot execute it. You cannot establish it. You can only do one thing. Enter it. You can enter it. Your obedience is your signature for entering into covenant with God. Say it again, Pastor Rick. Your obedience is your signature for entering into covenant with God. I'm going to say it one more time for the people in the back. I'm just kidding because the people in the back are probably the most obedient people in the church. Your obedience is your signature of entering into covenant with God. That's strong. The circumcision of your heart is the sign that you have entered that covenant. Now we're going to get with it. Hey. The circumcision of your heart is the sign that you have entered that covenant. Ooh. Man, did you feel that cut? You don't hear these kinds of messages anymore about circumcising your heart. You hear messages every week about what God's going to do for you, what God's going to give you, what God's going to bless you with, what you can get from God, who you're going to be in God. But no one preaches about stuff you need to cut off. Nobody preaches stuff like, hey, you can't just keep on sinning. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6 says, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your kids so that you, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and that you may live. That denotes to me the idea without your heart being circumcised, you can't live. So God says, I'm so adamant about you entering this covenant with me. I'm going to circumcise your heart and your kids' hearts. So the question is, why do we and then why do we allow our kids and ourselves to pull our sinful nature into our behavior patterns? Oh, just take a sea lot. I need you to let that rest on you. Hmm. Covenant is derived from a root word. You know what it means? To cut. You can't enter covenant without cutting. And that's why Romans 4 9 says this. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, it was before. And he received the sign of circumcision. A seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. 
My God, have mercy. How did he receive it? By faith. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. How? By faith. Man, that's good. Hey, that's right. I thank you for that. I was hoping somebody would say that. Folks, you can't live in covenant and be entertaining your sinful nature all the time at the same time. Your anger, your hatred, your bitterness, your envy, your strife, your contention, you can't feed that and be in covenant with God all at the same time. You're wondering why covenant is not working for you. Covenant does not stop working. You stop working the covenant when you refuse to cut off things in the flesh. Colossians 2.11 In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature not with the circumcision done with the hands of men but with the circumcision done by Christ. Circumcision is the putting off of the body or the flesh. Literally, in the Greek, it reads like this. That part of the flesh that causes you to keep missing the mark. Never in the covenant does it say God's going to come down and cut that off for you. The covenant says you have to cut off that part of your flesh that causes you to keep missing the mark. What is the definition of sin? Missing the mark. The biggest sin you will ever commit is to allow a distraction to enter your life that pulls you away from purpose. It's not the cuss word you said last night. It's the distraction you allow to enter your life through your flesh or simple nature that causes you to keep missing the mark or devalue your purpose. It's when your opinion becomes more important than your purpose. It's when your fleshly craving becomes more desirable than God's will for your life. And this is why Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, take up the X. Y'all just missed that. If you're going to follow me, Take up the X. Take up the cross and follow me. And let the dead bury their own. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Some of us in this building need to pull out a sharp knife today. And you need to speak to the flesh, your flesh, your sinful nature. They keep pulling your past right into your present. And you're manifesting in sinful ways. Cut it off. Nobody can do it for you. 
I wasn't going to go this deep with you, but you seem to be mature. So I think I, think I will. <coughs> the true meaning, Carrie Austin, of circumcision means to unveil. The purpose of unveiling is to uncover. The purpose of uncovering is to reveal. So until things are circumcised, you can't see right. Until, until things are circumcised in your life, you can't see what God wants to reveal to you. It remains covered by what? Flesh. You can't get to the promise because flesh got it covered. It's there. It's waiting for you circumcision, incision is to cut in. Decision is to cut off. The greatest circumcision you will ever make in your life is when you decide. When you decide my past is not coming with me. Decision is cutting it off. I tell young people all the time, listen to Pastor. One one bad decision. One bad decision can change your entire life. You know what you're going to spend your day doing? Making decisions. What are you going to eat? What game are you going to watch? Who's coming over? Where are you going to sit? We live by our decisions. And because we have inappropriately handled decisions in regards to circumcising our flesh, we live lives that are confused, never knowing who we are or where we're going. Father, touch these people today. And even in a whisper today, I pray you speak. I pray, God, you'll deal with people today, even young people in this building. Father, I want to thank you for executing a covenant you've never gone back on. You've been faithful. And then secondly, I want to thank you, Father, for establishing that covenant. And for me personally, I've seen it clearer and clearer and clearer as my life has gone on. Every time I've been down, your covenant has become more clear. And I thank you for establishing your covenant. And now, Father, I pray that the people in this building, would you lift your hands? with their hands lifted, would make a decision to enter that covenant. How? By cutting off everything in their life that is robbing them of your promises, that is robbing them of your word fulfilled. Father, let them cut it off even today. Sinful nature, sinful desire, desires, cut it off. Lift those hands. Come on, Jesus.